Hello and welcome to Alice is Everywhere. My name is Heather and today we will read and discuss chapter 7 of Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll entitled The Lion and the Unicorn. Before we get to those fellas, however, a few notes on our previous episode which was all about chapter 6, Humpty Dumpty. I stated that there was no connection between Humpty Dumpty and the Beatles. It occurred to me some Beatle fans out there might be a little perplexed because if I am the Eggman isn't referring to Humpty Dumpty, what the heck is it referring to? First off, I stand by my statement because in my research, I simply can't find any quote from John Lennon suggesting that the Eggman is Humpty Dumpty. It's natural for us to assume there is a connection, as we know John loved through the looking glass, but the evidence simply isn't there to support that notion. What is there are plenty of instances of Eric Burden from the animals claiming that he is the Eggman. Why? I'm not going to tell you. I run a G-rated podcast, and the story is R-rated, actually more like X-rated. It's an X-rated story, and at least one quote that I read from Eric Burden, the story ends on a rather vile and misogynistic note, so I'm not going to repeat any of it here. If you'd like to look it up, it's very easy to find online, although there are several different versions of the story out there that kind of contradict each other, but bottom line, no evidence that the Eggman was Humpty Dumpty. Our second order of business regarding last week's podcast, I pronounced ingenuity, ingenuity. <laughs> was I confused? Was I thinking Alice is an ingenue? It's really hard to say. But after I heard myself while editing the podcast later, I looked in the dictionary really hoping that ingenuity was maybe an archaic or fancy European pronunciation, but no such luck. How curious that two words with the same root have such different meanings. Ingenue and ingenuity. An ingenue doesn't have any ingenuity, typically. Anyway, pronounce the word totally wrong. Back to Chapter 7 of Through the Looking Glass. When we last left our hero, she had just ended a rather, in her words, unsatisfactory conversation with Humpty Dumpty. After she walked away, she heard a mighty crash echoing through the forest. I wonder who's going to show up next. Chapter 7, The Lion and the Unicorn. The next moment, soldiers came running through the wood, at first in twos and threes, then ten or twenty together, and at last in such crowds that they seemed to fill the whole forest. Alice got behind a tree for fear of being run over and watched them go by. She thought that in all her life she had never seen soldiers so uncertain on their feet. They were always tripping over something or other, and whenever one went down, several more always fell over him, so that the ground was soon covered with little heaps of men. Then came the horses. Having four feet, these managed rather better than the foot soldiers, but even they stumbled now and then, and it seemed to be a regular rule that, whenever a horse stumbled, the rider fell off instantly. The confusion got worse every moment, and Alice was very glad to get out of the wood into an open place, where she found the White King seated on the ground, busily writing in his memorandum book. "'I've sent them all!' the king cried in a tone of delight on seeing Alice. "'Did you happen to meet any soldiers, my dear, as you came through the wood?' "'Yes, I did,' said Alice. "'Several thousand, I should think.' Four thousand two hundred and seven, that's the exact number, the king said, referring to his book. I couldn't send all the horses, you know, because two of them are wanted in the game. And I haven't sent the two messengers, either. They're both gone to the town. Just look along the road and tell me if you can see either of them. I see nobody on the road, said Alice. Oh, I only wish I had such eyes, the king remarked in a fretful tone, to be able to see nobody, and at that distance, too. 
Why, it's as much as I can do to see real people by this light. All this was lost on Alice, who was looking intently along the road, shading her eyes with one hand. I see somebody now, she exclaimed at last, but he's coming very slowly. And what curious attitudes he goes into. For the messenger kept skipping up and down and wriggling like an eel as he came along with his great hands spread out like fans on each side. Not at all, said the king. He's an Anglo-Saxon messenger, and those are Anglo-Saxon attitudes. He only does them when he's happy. His name is Hayer. He pronounced it so as to rhyme with Mayer. I love my love with an H. Alice couldn't help beginning because he is happy. I hate him with an H because he is hideous. I fed him with... with ham, sandwiches, and hay. His name is Hayer, and he lives... Oh, he lives on the hill, the king remarked simply, without the least idea that he was joining in the game, while Alice was still hesitating for the name of a town beginning with H. The other messengers called Hatta. I must have two, you know, to come and go. One to come and one to go. I beg your pardon, said Alice. It isn't respectable to beg, said the king. I only meant that I didn't understand, said Alice, why one to come and one to go. Didn't I tell you, the king repeated impatiently, I must have two to fetch and carry. One to fetch and one to carry. At this moment the messenger arrived. He was far too much out of breath to say a word, and could only wave his hands about and make the most fearful faces at the poor king. This young lady loves you with an H, the king said, introducing Alice in the hope of turning off the messenger's attention from himself, but it was no use. The Anglo-Saxon attitudes only got more extraordinary every moment, while the great eyes rolled wildly from side to side. You alarm me, said the king. I feel faint. Give me a ham sandwich. On which the messenger, to Alice's great amusement, opened a bag that hung round his neck and handed a sandwich to the king, who devoured it greedily. Another sandwich, said the king. There's nothing but hay left now, the messenger said, peeping into the bag. Hey, then, the king murmured in a faint whisper. Alice was glad to see that it revived him a good deal. There's nothing like eating hay when you're faint, he remarked to her as he munched away. Well, I should think throwing cold water over you would be better, Alice suggested, or some sal volatile. I didn't say there was nothing better, the king replied. I said there was nothing like it, which Alice did not venture to deny. Who did you pass on the road? The king went on, holding out his hand to the messenger for more hay. Nobody, said the messenger. Quite right, said the king. This young lady saw him too. So, of course, nobody walks slower than you. I do my best, the messenger said in a sulky tone. I'm sure nobody walks much faster than I do. He can't do that, said the king, or else he'd have been here first. However, now you've got your breath, you may tell us what's happened in the town. I'll whisper it, said the messenger, putting his hands to his mouth in the shape of a trumpet and stooping so as to get close to the king's ear. Alice was sorry for this, as she wanted to hear the news too. However, instead of whispering, he simply shouted at the top of his voice, They're at it again! Do you call that a whisper? cried the poor king, jumping up and shaking himself. If you do such a thing again, I'll have you buttered. It went through and through my head like an earthquake. It would have to be a very tiny earthquake, thought Alice. Who are at it again, she ventured to ask. Why, the lion and the unicorn, of course, said the king. Fighting for the crown? Yes, to be sure, said the king. And the best of the joke is, that it's my crown all the while. Let's run and see them. And they trotted off, Alice repeating to herself as she ran the words of the old song. The lion and the unicorn were fighting for the crown. The lion beat the unicorn all round the town. Some gave them white bread, some gave them brown, some gave them plum cake, and drummed them out of town. Does the one that wins get the crown? She asked as well as she could, for the run was putting her quite out of breath. Oh, dear me, no, said the king. What an idea. Would you be good enough? Alice panted out after running a little further to stop a minute just to get one's breath again. 
I'm good enough, said the king, only I'm not strong enough. You see, a minute goes by so fearfully quick. You might as well try to stop a bandersnatch. Alice had no more breath for talking, so they trotted on in silence till they came in sight of a great crowd in the middle of which the lion and unicorn were fighting. They were in such a cloud of dust that at first Alice could not make out which was which, but she soon managed to distinguish the unicorn by his horn. They placed themselves close to where Hatta, the other messenger, was standing watching the fight with a cup of tea in one hand and a piece of bread and butter in the other. "'He's only just out of prison, and he hadn't finished his tea when he was sent in,' Heya whispered to Alice, "'and they only give him oyster shells in there, so you see he's very hungry and thirsty. "'How are you, dear child?' he went on, putting his arm affectionately round Hatta's neck. Hatta looked round and nodded and went on with his bread and butter. "'Were you happy in prison, dear child?' said Heya. Hatta looked round once more, and this time a tear or two trickled down his cheek, but not a word he would say. "'Speak, can't you?' Hayer cried impatiently, but Hatta only munched away and drank some more tea. "'Speak, won't you?' said the king. "'How are they getting on with the fight?' Hatta made a desperate effort and swallowed a large piece of bread and butter. "'They're getting on very well,' he said in a choking voice. "'Each of them has been down about eighty-seven times.' "'Then I suppose they'll soon bring the white bread and the brown?' Alice ventured to remark. "'I'm waiting for him now,' said Hatta. "'This is a bit of it as I'm eating.' There was a pause in the fight just then, and the lion and the unicorn sat down, panting, while the king called out, Ten minutes allowed for refreshments. Hayer and Hatta set to work at once, carrying rough trays of white and brown bread. Alice took a piece to taste, but it was very dry. I don't think they'll fight any more today, the king said to Hatta. Go and order the drums to begin. And Hatta went bounding away like a grasshopper. For a minute or two, Alice stood silent, watching him. Suddenly she brightened up. Look, look, she cried, pointing eagerly. "'There's the white queen running across the country. "'She came flying out of the wood over yonder. "'How fast those queens can run!' "'There's some enemy after her, no doubt,' the king said without even looking round. "'That wood's full of them.' "'But aren't you going to run and help her?' Alice asked, "'very much surprised at his taking it so quietly. "'No use, no use,' said the king. "'She runs so fearfully quick. "'You might as well try to catch a bandersnatch. "'But I'll make a memorandum about her if you like. "'She's a good dear creature,' he repeated softly to himself as he opened his memorandum book. Do you spell creature with a double E? At this moment, the unicorn sauntered by them with his hands in his pockets. I had the best of it this time, he said to the king, just glancing at him as he passed. A little, a little, the king replied rather nervously. You shouldn't have run him through with your horn, you know. It didn't hurt him, the unicorn said carelessly, and he was going on when his eye happened to fall upon Alice. He turned round rather instantly and stood for some time looking at her with an air of the deepest disgust. What? is this he said at last this is a child hayer replied eagerly coming in front of alice to introduce her and spreading out both hands towards her in an anglo-saxon attitude we only found it today it's as large as life and twice as natural i always thought they were fabulous monsters said the unicorn is it alive it can talk said hayer solemnly the unicorn looked dreamily at alice and said talk child Alice could not help her lips curling up into a smile as she began. Do you know, I always thought unicorns were fabulous monsters, too. I never saw one alive before. Well, now that we have seen each other, said the unicorn, if you'll believe in me, I'll believe in you. Is that a bargain? Yes, if you like, said Alice. Come, fetch out the plum cake, old man, the unicorn went on, turning from her to the king. None of your brown bread for me. Certainly, certainly, the king muttered and beckoned to Hayer. Open the bag, he whispered. Quick, not that one. That's full of hay. 
Hayer took a large cake out of the bag and gave it to Alice to hold while he got out a dish and carving knife. How they all came out of it, Alice couldn't guess. It was just like a conjuring trick, she thought. The lion had joined them while this was going on. He looked very tired and sleepy, and his eyes were half shut. "'What's this?' he said, blinking lazily at Alice, and speaking in a deep, hollow tone that sounded like the tolling of a great bell. "'Ah, what is it now?' the unicorn cried eagerly. "'You'll never guess. I couldn't.' The lion looked at Alice wearily. "'Are you animal, vegetable, or mineral?' he said, yawning at every other word. "'It's a fabulous monster,' the unicorn cried out, before Alice could reply. "'Then hand round the plum cake, monster.' the lion said, lying down and putting his chin on his paws. "'And sit down, both of you,' to the king and the unicorn. "'Fair play with the cake, you know.' The king was evidently very uncomfortable at having to sit down between the two great creatures, but there was no other place for him. "'What a fight we may have for the crown now,' the unicorn said, looking slyly up at the crown, which the poor king was nearly shaking off his head, he trembled so much. "'I should win easy,' said the lion. "'I'm not so sure of that,' said the unicorn.' "'Why, I beat you all round the town, you chicken,' the lion replied angrily, half getting up as he spoke. Here the king interrupted, to prevent the quarrel going on. He was very nervous, and his voice quite quivered. "'All round the town,' he said, "'that's a good long way. Did you go by the old bridge or the marketplace? You've got the best view by the old bridge.' "'I'm sure I don't know,' the lion growled as he lay down again. "'There was too much dust to see anything.' What a time the monster is cutting up that cake. Alice had seated herself on the bank of a little brook with a great dish on her knees and was sawing away diligently with the knife. It's very provoking, she said in a reply to the lion. She was getting quite used to being called the monster. I've cut several slices already, but they always join on again. You don't know how to manage looking glass cakes, the unicorn remarked. Hand it round first and cut it afterwards. This sounded nonsense, but Alice very obediently got up and carried the dish round, and the cake divided itself into three pieces as she did so. "'Now cut it up,' said the lion as she returned to her place with the empty dish. "'I say, this isn't fair,' cried the unicorn, as Alice sat with the knife in her hand, very puzzled how to begin. "'The monster has given the lion twice as much as me.' "'She's kept none for herself, anyhow,' said the lion. "'Do you like plum cake, monster?' But before Alice could answer him, the drums began." Where the noise came from, she couldn't make out. The air seemed full of it, and it rang through and through her head till she felt quite deafened. She started to her feet and sprang across the little brook in her terror, and had just time to see the lion and unicorn rise to their feet, with angry looks at being interrupted in their feast, before she dropped to her knees and put her hands over her ears, vainly trying to shut out the dreadful uproar. Well, if that doesn't drum them out of town, she thought to herself, nothing ever will. And the chapter ends with an illustration of Alice with her hands over her ears, trying to shut out that aforementioned dreadful uproar. If you'd like to see this illustration and the others from this chapter, be sure to check out the accompanying blog post for this episode on aliceseverywhere.com. The lion and the unicorn have got to be two of the least known characters in either Alice book. Notice I didn't say underappreciated like I did with, say, the Wonderland mouse or the chicken-sized gnat from Looking Glass Chapter 3. That's because the lion and the unicorn, as characters, don't do a heck of a lot for me, personally. Although I do like it when the lion calls Alice monster, repeatedly. Maybe one of the reasons these two are all but forgotten, except to the most diehard Alice fans, is their nursery rhyme didn't quite survive the ages, like Humpty Dumpty or the Queen of Hearts and her tarts did. At least here in the United States it didn't. England may be another story. 
If you were previously unfamiliar with the lion and the unicorn nursery rhyme, again, it goes a little something like this. The lion and the unicorn were fighting for the crown. The lion beat the unicorn all around the town. Some gave them white bread and some gave them brown. Some gave them plum cake and drummed them out of town. Now, in real life, the lion and the unicorn are pictured on the royal coat of arms of the United Kingdom. The lion represents England and the unicorn represents Scotland. The nursery rhyme could go as far back as 1603. I say could because with all these nursery rhymes, the origins are always a little murky. I've read a few things that say the nursery rhyme was actually written in 1603, while others say that 1603 was just the first time the two were pictured together and the nursery rhyme came much later. Different verses were definitely added over the years, however. If you'd like to know why white bread and brown bread and plum cake are the snacks specifically mentioned, so would I. I have no idea. If someone knows of some symbolic meaning to those particular baked goods, please let me know. John Tenniel's illustration of the lion and the unicorn looks similar to caricatures he did for political cartoons of some contemporary politicians named Benjamin Disraeli and William Gladstone. But I hesitate to bring that up even because there is no indication that Lewis Carroll ever requested they be drawn that way or that Tenniel was trying to make some political statement of his own. It's one of those instances with the Alice books where there may be less than meets the eye. Let's go backwards, looking glass style, to the beginning of the chapter. All the king's horses and men were indeed dispatched to assist Mr. Humpty Dumpty. The king who dispatched them was the White King, who I don't believe we have seen since the first chapter when Alice entered Looking Glass House and saw the chess pieces walking around the fireplace. You'll recall it was the White King she tried to shake the ashes off of. The White King mentions that he sent all the horses but two because those are needed in the game, which is of course very clever as he is talking about the knight playing pieces in chess. He's waiting on his messengers, and when one shows up, we have... At long last, our other Wonderland crossover. Hayer is spelled H-A-I-G-H-A. Those were Carol's words in the text when I parenthetically said he pronounced it so as to rhyme with Mayer. And just in case it's not clear who we're talking about, we get a delightful illustration of our friend March Hare. Yay! Reaching into his messenger bag for a ham sandwich. Remember, in Chapter 5, the White Queen told us that one of the king's messengers was, was in jail for a crime he hadn't committed yet. That turned out to be our friend Hatter. In this book, his name is spelled H-A-T-T-A, not E-R. We still don't know what crime he's going to commit, by the way. I'd really like to know that, personally. I absolutely love the interaction between Hayer and Hatta in this chapter. The way March Hare calls him Dear Child... Or Hatter crying when he thinks of his time in prison. The fact that he's got a teacup and bread and butter in his hands. So nice to see these guys together again. Now the lion and the unicorn are indeed fighting. But as the White King tells us, it's his crown. So whoever wins, he's not actually getting any crown. When Alice, the King, and Hayer get to the fight, there's pretty much immediately a break and the refreshments are handed around. The unicorn and Alice have an exchange about how neither knew the other was real. The unicorn thought children were fabulous monsters. Alice thought unicorns were fabulous monsters. They share a little moment. I should probably be happy that someone's finally being nice to Alice, but I find their whole exchange a little, as the dormouse might say, treacly. 
The quote, if you'll believe in me, I'll believe in you, is one of those Wonderland slash Looking Glass quotes that gets attributed to pretty much everyone but the correct character, I think. I know I've seen it on some sort of Pinterest graphic with the Cheshire Cat. It's not even the right book, Pinners. Rather abruptly, the drums start up to drum the lion and unicorn out of town. Alice jumps over a brook to get away from them, and we know what that means. She's advanced to another square. I wonder who she'll meet there. We'll have to wait until next time. One more note on this chapter. As you might have guessed, when Alice starts doing the I love my love with an H, blah, 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 that is a uh, an old parlor game, a Victorian game. I've actually done some modern version of that at some like icebreaker corporate event <laughs> where everyone had to go around the room. It wasn't I love my love with an H, but they had to give towns and foods and whatnot with different letters of the alphabet. Anyhow, guys... Do you read the Alice's Everywhere blog? If you do, you now know where my pen name, Heather Hayer, comes from. And if you don't, why the heck not? I review Alice movies and stage shows, tell you how to have a very Alice in Wonderland day when you're traveling to, say, Central California or Las Vegas. I dig super deep into aspects of the books. I write about the real Alice, Alice Little. I report back from events such as Lewis Carroll Society meetings and Alice art exhibits. If you are enjoying the podcast, you'll love the blog. It's just like a podcast, but with reading and pretty pictures. Hey, if I don't see you at aliceseverywhere.com, talk soon.